Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside two absolute legends, Jesse Marsh and Charlie Davies. A big shout out to Tony Miola for filling in for Chuck when he was on his adventure into Montana, having a great time. Chuck, Chuck, great to see you first and foremost. I'll give you back. Welcome back, Chuck. Proper applause. Welcome Welcome back. back. I, I honestly miss you guys. So yeah. I, yes, I don't. Th- I don't want. We don't believe you, but we appreciate you saying that nonetheless. Now we have a big show for you guys today. Doing a little recapping. Doing a looking forward, we got MLS starting. And speaking of MLS, we're going to talk about their involvement or lack of involvement in the U.S. Open Cup. It's all speculation, but we'll get into it as well. And it's going to be a great show. But first things first, it's a call it what you want word of the day. Are you guys ready? Fast yes. Let's do this. Okay, the word is, now we know, I should say this, that this game is called a lot of different things. Soccer, football, ball, calcio. But for today... Where is this word, Bongjai? Where is that from? What language? What country? Can I give it a crack first? Bongjai. Yes, go ahead, Chuck. Thailand. Okay, Jesse? Thailand. Give it to me one more time. Bongjai. Fungi? Bongjai. Oh, I was going to say, that's a mushroom. <laughs> um, Bongai. Bongai and Thailand, huh? So Thailand, your reaction to Thailand makes me feel like he's in the he's in the right area. He's in the right area. <laughs> you know I'm you know I'm close. You know, if I'm yeah, not I'm there, go, I'm, I'm close. I'm Myanmar. I'm going Myanmar. That's definitely Myanmar. Okay, yeah. Both of you are incorrect. I'll <sighs> give you a clue. This country's national team currently sits 105th in the FIFA men's world ranking. Okay, are we really as Asia? Are we close with Southeast Asia? Is Southeast Asia? Yeah, Asia? You're the, yeah, you're kind of in the right area. Yeah, yeah the same, we the are. Same, hold we on, are. one more clue. Then the same national team has never qualified for a World Cup, but did qualify for the last two AFC Asian Cups, losing one zero to Japan in the quarterfinals in the 2019 edition of the competition, and failing to register a point in the latest edition. Bong Dai. What do you got? I'm gonna go Vietnam. 
Yeah. Jesse that's... Marsh is the winner. <laughs> he got there first, Chuck. I'm sorry. You got a little slow going to Montana and coming back. Oh, oh, man, oh, man. Man. I knew that one feels I good. Feel... That one feels oh, good. That one I feels knew it was good. Vietnam. I knew it. Vietnamese is Malaysia. for Lee Win. Oh, that's God. for Lee Win. That was for Lee Win. Okay. God. Nice job, Jesse. Proud nice. of you. Yeah. <sighs> got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. Let's get into the recapping. We had some midweek European so action. And uh, we're going to start with AC Milan, who took the 3-0 lead into France to take on Rennes. And they lost 3-2, but aggregate 5-3. They move on to the next round. The draw for the Europa League just got announced prior to us recording. And AC Milan will be taking on Slavia Prague. I think that's a really good draw for them, considering that there were some other names in there like Liverpool and Brighton and West Ham though this version of West Ham doesn't look so good at the very moment but uh Christian Pulisic and Yunus Musa both got the start Jesse I want to come to you first who do you think played better out of those two or had more impact on the game out of um, I thought they were both okay you know I mean it's it's such a weird fixture when when you're up 3-0 Right. You go there, you know, you just have to keep things tight. To be fair, Stad Ren, they pushed the game with a with a really good goal uh, in the 11th, 12th minute. And then obviously it brings a lot of urgency to both sides. But in general, I thought Milan managed the game pretty well. Um, you know, one of the things I've been talking about, Christian, and why his numbers aren't so high is because he doesn't always get the simple passes across the goal that can help help him be an advantageous situation to score easy goals. So, you know, in the middle of the second half, Rafael has a chance down the left wing and he does well to get a little bit of room away from his defender. And if he just slides the ball a- across the goal on his left foot, Christian is wide open. He's run the in- entire length of the field to put himself in a dangerous position for a tap in and Leao shoots it instead. And of course, Christian's frustrated. And I tell you, if, if, I haven't watched every minute of every game of AC Milan this year, but from what I've seen, that has happened five to eight times where where Christian's in a perfect position to score an easy goal and his teammates don't share the ball with him. So, you know, you can see his layout too, right? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I have, sometimes Giroud, some, you know, different situations. But, I, you know, listen, for the teams that I've coached, it's always been a big emphasis. Let's score easy goals. Let's make the extra pass. Let's be unselfish. And and what's great about when you create that kind of culture is then the guys want to really share the ball in the last third. And and if, if you've scored an easy goal, then you want to help another guy score an easy goal. And it really becomes infectious within the team. And it can work the opposite way, where if if a guy, if too many guys are always taking the last shot when there's an, an another option or an easy option available, it can mean that it, it can it can breed selfishness. So, you know, I, I was I was like yelling at the TV at that moment, like give them the ball, um, you know. But in general, I thought it was a game they had to kind of be a little bit more conservative. They had to defend a little bit more. They had to just try to protect the lead, and they did. They managed that. They managed that fine. So they got out of it physically. They met, they got the score they needed, and, and now they're ready to move on. If if I'm Milan, just overall losing to Monza four two the previous weekend midweek, now losing to Ren three two. Now I know they got through, but that's a worrying trend. They've given up seven goals to teams that yes are good, but not of the caliber that I think that should be able to put seven past them. I guess I'm going to say that now. Now Chuck, I kind of want to get into the thoughts, and I, and I love this this insight here, Jesse, about 
what breeds selfishness and, and also being helpful and supportive of your teammates. If you're Christian Pulisic, because I remember that play, and Jesse, like you, I screamed at the television. How do you get a Rafael Leao to pass you the ball in that situation? What are you saying to him to be like, dude, give me the rock? Because not only were we screaming at the television, Jesse, Christian threw up his arms afterwards because yeah, yeah. he was pissed that he made that. that. So, so what do you do in that moment, especially as our, as our resident number nine, how do you how do you ask for the ball there in a way that Rafael Leal would be receptive to that type of feedback? Yeah, this is one of those moments where you have kind of two alphas, right? Because Christian has has put himself in that category of being a a, a big playmaker at at Milan. Get me the ball, I'll create. Where Rafael Leal is already the the resident playmaker for Milan and someone who who is a big part of the Portuguese national team and, and the future of the Portuguese national team. So. This is where I'm taking my my guy out for for dinners. I'm I'm trying to hang out, build that relationship off the pitch, so that that carries onto the pitch. I think that's really important. Is trying to to find some some similarities, trying to hang out, have some more conversations, um, because the the stronger that bond can 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 grow and become, the better you'll see uh, in terms of production on the pitch. So that's that's when I'm trying to find um, some moments to hang out and spend some time together. Okay, I like that insight. I also want to, I don't know if I want to give him a shout out, but James Bench, who writes for us, CBS Sports, put out an article stating that Christian Pulisic is one of the most overrated players in Europe this season. And I, oh, wow. was like, those are fighting words. He's got eight goals and seven assists in in all competitions this season. And what I find interesting, and Jesse, you, you mentioned it, maybe not directly to James Bench in this article, but, but Milan are very left-sided dominant. They have Rafael Leal and Teo Hernandez, who arguably are two of the most dangerous guys on the left side in all of Europe. And, and when they get in those situations to score, maybe they're not passing the rock. And I think that does hurt his overall XG stats. This is all a stat-based article by James Benj. He's looking at all the underlying stats. But what I think Christian's brought to the team is, in theory, he's brought some balance. Now you have a dangerous one-on-one -on -one player on the right side, which should, in theory, give that extra space to Liao to do what he's going to do. Now, Liao isn't produ producing the numbers that he had uh, at this point last season, but but I, I like the balance and symmetry that Christian does provide. And, I, and we've already talked about, and you brought it up in Coach's Corner, where he is doing a little bit more on the defensive side as well and really tracking runners. And, and ultimately, I think that's just going to serve the U.S. men's national team well. But but it's well, how is he How is he overrated? I, I don't, where, where's, don't, where's, don't look at the article. But where is he getting the plaudits to say, oh, he's amongst the best? I mean, he's done a really good job in his first season at Milan. I think he's overproduced, if anything. He's he's exceeded the expectations. So I don't get how you can write an article about being someone who's overhyped. We need to get James on the on the show to defend himself. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, listen, Charlie, if you're if right. if you're going to look at some of the pure metrics, then it's possible. But like like Jimmy just brought up. Christian's done a lot of the responsible work as an attacker in the team, right? And even, you know, some of the, sometimes they ask him to be a little bit more out wide and, and sometimes they ask him to defend a little bit deeper. And, and listen, Leao's an incredible talent, right? And an explosive player. And, and he has potential to be among the best left-sided players in the world. He has that kind of talent. It's just how do you then continue to, to, 
to create the kind of mentality in the group. Like I was around them for the for Champions League and I would interview them sometimes afterwards. There's a good vibe in the team. They like each other. There's you can see that that it's a real team, that the guys enjoy being there, that obviously it's such a historic club, but you can see there's a really good vibe in the t- in the team. It's just now making sure that when they go on the pitch that that these little extra plays around the box can can add up to more. So, um, you know, I, can Christians, I, I've said this, sometimes maybe he can insert himself into the game a little bit more and like go after it and find the ball and, and be dynamic. But but I think Christians uh, acclimated really well, is having a really good season. He's staying healthy, which is a big key in general. And and yeah, of course, the, if, if you're going to look at an article and just look at pure stats, you're right. Eight goals, seven assists, it's still solid. I think he can contribute more because of his quality. And I think he will continue to contribute more but certainly if he got a little bit of help in some of these situations where he puts him in a good spot uh, a good a good spot around the goal for easy goals this would change this would change the the whole dynamic of what that article is what what's awesome is that article came out and then christian didn't start against monza on the weekend he came on as a sub and had a goal and an assist so that's really sticking at the james bench right away suck it james <laughs> <laughs> now keep it on me lot i do want to talk about Yunus musa because i have uh, some some friends who are diehards of Milan and and they had some interesting comments about Yunus Musa. Now Yunus Musa started. It looked like on paper that he was starting somewhat in the ten spot. And Jesse, I'll come to you on this because I want to get your your coaching put your coaching hat on right away and under trying to understand Stefano Pioli, the manager of, of Milan, and what he wanted out of Musa in this one. But they they're like we 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 can see the promise in Yunus. We just don't know what he's actually his best position. And, and I feel like we're running into that conundrum a little bit with the u.s men's national team as well and so he's he's solid but can he shine in any one particular position and it feels like pioli's using him in so many different ways it's going to be hard for him to establish that we talked about this before he played like a left eight he didn't play like a center 10 i know they listed it on certain uh apps that way and and then you know he was forced to sometimes cover the ground for when Leal wasn't coming back, and so he had to shift out. Even the first goal, he he shifts over to help deal a little bit in the center of the midfield, and then they make a pass to his left, and he does everything he can to get out there to try to block the shot. But it's a good finish from the Ren player. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think that Musa's been an important player for them, even when he doesn't start. When he comes off the bench, he delivers some pretty good performances. And I, I would like to see, like, what we do with our teams all the time is we do a plus minus, almost like in hockey. Like, when you're on the pitch, does your team score more or, or does the opponent score more when you're on the pitch? And what does that mean? Right. And I would I would tend to feel that watching the matches that Musa, for the most part, has made a positive impact uh, when he's in when he's in the games, and again, a lot of it is because he's responsible. He's willing to w- work for the team. They ask their center midfielders a lot to do a lot of man marking, so he has to follow players around a lot. and And you can see that even sometimes that's not his favorite thing to do. I don't think that's anybody's favorite thing to do. But for me, I think he's for a young guy and new to the club. I think he's established himself in the group. I think he's had good performances, and and I take away a lot of positives from what he's been able to do. Yeah, I'm the same. Charlie, where are you on Eunice? And, and I guess this question is twofold because the, 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 the asks of him for his club team probably different or a little bit different than his asks as a national team player. I, obviously, I'm, I'm, I've got my Eunice Musa pajamas on because I love Eunice Musa. But there is some element of truth to what is actually his best position and, and how can we best utilize him moving forward, I guess, for both club and country. Well, 
I I think Jesse, you might understand from from a midfielder's perspective that Yunus Musa, if he wants to be an attacking midfielder, then he has to take it on himself, take the initiative to get more goals, to get more assists, to be higher up the pitch when he does have the ball, be more decisive. Because what we've seen from him is he's silky smooth in possession, similar to a Darlington Nagby. He can dribble out of out of tough situations. He can burst uh, out, out of out of the midfield with with the ball at his feet. But then it's 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 sometimes he gets to the final third and it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. This feels a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to get the ball off my feet instead of being someone who can create for himself. Um, so I think it's going to fall on him if he wants to be that attacking midfielder, if he wants to be closer to goal, number 10, or an eight, because he's so yeah. good at being someone who can defend. Or he's box to box for me. Back. So um, that's one of those, those, those moments that it's going to be on him if he wants to be closer to goal, if he wants to be more of an attacking midfielder. But I think his best quality is, is an eight. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I just kind of curious. And I love what you're saying about him taking that initiative. Some players don't want that responsibility. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be the one that makes that final pass. Not to say that he doesn't have it in him. We saw him score a couple of good goals with Valencia in the previous seasons where he does take that initiative. But it's that consistent action of I'm going to take this and I'm going to make something happen at the end of this. Something positive and result is going to come out of it. It's going to be a cross. It's going to be a shot. It's going to be the final pass. It's going to lead to a corner, a deep throw in, whatever it is. To do that consistently, I feel like he, his instincts are more to be a connector and keep the the play and, moving and, and that, keep the flow going. And that happens in training. It, it, it's literally just drilling yourself to make those runs, to take the shots, to to combine, to get into the box. So um, it's really up to him because he, he it's one of those players that he has unlimited potential. He is an incredible player, gifted, but we know he can be so much more. I mean, for me, Jimmy. It, it, the one thing about when you play in Italy, right? Certainly in Europe, the tactical responsibility and the nuances of how you play in every position is is really important. But maybe nowhere is the culture more defined with what the tactics are than than how the game is played in Italy, right? So, and it's good. It's good for our American players, I think, to be put in these situations where they have to develop the the tactical awareness and know how of exactly how to execute positional ideas and how it fits within a, a concept of a team. Um, but for for this is why even I know with Polisic, like he's trying always to do what he knows his tactical responsibility is and honor the responsibility he has to the team. And it's the same with with Musa when I see him play is I feel like they're very aware that there's a tactical model that the coach cares a lot about it and that they have to execute that at a high level. And 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 then within there, they have to play the game. But that that getting on the pitch will often be defined by how well they execute the tactical plan. Yeah, it's interesting. I love breaking down our players with you guys. It, it, it's fun to kind of get into the nuance and subtlety of of who they are, what they bring to the table, and then what's being asked by, by their coaches uh, or asked by, of them from their coaches and, and trying to figure out the best way to have success. All right, we're going to take our first break of Call It What You Want. So when we come back, we got more games to break down. We got a little Real Betis and Johnny Cardoso and PSV versus Borussia Dortmund. We're going to dive in a little bit more, so don't go anywhere. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. 
With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Welcome back to Call What You Want. I'm Jimmy alongside Jesse and Chuck, and we are continuing our dive into the past. Midweek games in Europe and PSV hosted Borussia Dortmund in the first round, or the first leg, I should say, of the round of 16 of the Champions League. It was a 1-1 draw. PSV yet to lose at home this season. Pretty impressive performance, all things considered. We got a couple Americans that got to play. Serginho Dest and Malik Tillman both started, both with 90 minutes. Ricardo Pepe came on for the last 15. Just cool to see these guys, and Ricardo Pepe in particular, getting this just Champions League experience. A fantastic game. I thought the, the, the penalty that PSV earned, a little soft. You know, as a former center back, I'm probably super biased. I know I'm biased. But Malik Tillman, Chuck, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah. He had some opportunities, and he actually drew yeah. the penalty that they got. But he had some great chances, and I really liked the spots that he found himself in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the criticism is going to come in him not finishing those chances. But sometimes it's harder to teach or, or to coach or whatever it may be, getting players in good spots to make plays. And I thought he was excellent on that side of it, but unfortunately he lacked that finishing touch. Yeah, he did. But I'm always more on the, was he in the right positions? Did he, did he, did he approach the game with the right mentality? And he absolutely did. So I was thrilled to see uh, Malik Tillman kind of stand out in this game. Of course, he would have liked a better end product, but he drew the penalty. He was involved. Um, he was a big part of of the way that PSV played in the attacking third. So I have nothing but positive things to say. Of course, you, you want a better game in front of goal, but um, in terms of the Champions League and, and making an impact, he certainly did. Yeah, I was really impressed. Uh, anything you want to add there, Jesse, with, with Malik well, Tillman? Yeah, I agree. I think he could have been. It, listen, if he finishes one of those plays, then then maybe man of the match. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the header on the free kick. I think he's offside. So even though that was a clear chance that he missed, I, I think that would have been called back. The one in transition, the first one he got on the right, the ball just mm-hmm. bounced up on him a little bit, and, and maybe he could have passed it earlier, or then once once that pass kind of went by, taken a really good strike at it. But the 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 really good chance he had where the the combination with De Jong and he found himself behind the back line. And if he could have just found a way to tuck that in the in the corner, it would have been would have been uh, a great finish. So you're right though. I thought he had a fantastic game. He was he was present in the in the match on both sides of the ball. 
Like, and that's one of the things I think you get from him is not just some of the attacking prowess and ability to have some cleverness in the last third, but but he's a 10 that's running back into the box and helping defend in certain moments. So I thought he was really good. I thought Serginho Dest was also very active in the match. Um, defensively, he gets caught a little bit on the goal. And to be fair, Malik Tillman lost the ball on the opposite side for the first for the goal. And then and then it wound up coming to a 1v1 situation against Malin on the opposite side. And he just got away from Dest a little bit. I thought I thought the midfielder could have helped double down a little bit more with Serginho to, to help him out. Uh, but very active in the attacking part of the pitch. And one of the things that I'll look at is how PSV, when we do coaches corner, is how PSV rotate some of their wing play and how they create some clever little advantages and how Pepe and, and Dest and Tillman are involved in these, these little movements. So listen, in general, I think PSV has nothing to lose. I think they're playing uh, with a lot of courage. I think they're very confident. I thought they looked good on the day. The match started wide open both directions. And that's Dortmund likes to play like this, right? They have the, the quality and the ability to play in transition. They like to get up and down the pitch. I thought first half was really entertaining and, and good, really good football on both sides. I thought PSV was better in the match than I thought they would be. And Pepe came on and I thought had a real positive impact. So yeah, I thought uh, a good match, good from our, our American players and and exciting to, to look forward to leg two. Yeah, lots of work to do for PSV in leg two, though. Not easy to go into Dortmund and get a result. Now, Chuck, going to put you on the spot here. Put you in the hot seat. If the Copa America started... Tomorrow, now obviously everybody's clamoring for Gio Reyna. Oh, where are you going with this one? I'm just kind of curious. Like, given that Tillman's getting a lot of reps, playing at a high level in a Champions League game against yep. a good opponent, would you put Tillman? Would you find room for Tillman in the starting eleven, say over a Gio Reyna or anybody else? If Copa America started tomorrow, if Copa America started tomorrow, you you, you have you to might, consider. You have to consider Tillman playing as a, as a 10. You have to. He's he's playing um, consistently. He's playing 90 minutes in Champions League. So to, to say he's not playing, uh, you know, at the highest level in, in the Dutch Eredivisie, that, throw that out the window because PSV are playing at a supremely high level and they're competing in Champions League versus Dortmund, um, Gio's former team. So... I, it's one of those things where Gio, we know how good he can be and and for those brief moments with the U S team in that 10 role, he's looked really sharp, but at the moment you got to go with form and fitness. And I think Tillman checks both of those boxes at the moment. So yeah, you have to, it has to be a strong consideration, but again, um, you're looking at nations league. You got to see how that plays out. How, how does the U S respond against a, a hungry Jamaica considering, uh, um, Tillman's co comments post post match of uh, hearing about uh, this Jamaican side and and that they have a few good players. <laughs> okay, no, 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 yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to that clip. So so nice tease there, Chuck. Now, Jesse, I'm gonna package this question to you in the same way, but I'm gonna add a few names because there's something that I really appreciate, and we didn't mention it with Yunus Musa, but but he's getting trusted by Stefano Pioli in in high pressure situations, and and I. That's important. That's an important thing that you, because as you know, as a coach, that when you feel like you know what you're going to get out of that player, that, that if they just give you seven or eight out of 10 in that performance, and, and that's what you expect, because that's why you're putting them in the lineup. There's something about that quality. It's a, it's a, 
and that consistency that you know you're going to get from that particular player. So I think about Yunus Musa there. But we're also seeing it with Johnny Cardoso with Real Betis, right? He makes his move from Internacional from the Brasileiro, and, and he's been inserted into the lineup. And there feels like there's some real trust from his manager, Manuel Pellegrini, which we're also seeing with Malik Tillman and Peter Bosch at, at PSV. And so when you see how Cardoso is playing as well, now putting that into the context and the framework of the national team, do you think Cardoso's done enough to warrant that type of trust from Greg Berhalter? Very similar to what I asked with Charlie with Tillman. Yeah, in general, I would say n- no one gets a free pass, right? Like you got to be playing, you got to be performing well, you've got to you've got to earn your right to come to the national team and be in the squad, and then and then who's going to be in the lineup? And uh, obviously, there's form versus you know, performances in the past. And then you have to always be thinking about how to get the balance of what's happening within the team and in the entire group. But Tillman has to be considered from the start. He's been playing fantastic and Cordozo as well. And for Cordozo, certainly a door is open a bit because of uh, what's happened with Tyler Adams. Obviously, if I think if Tyler, if any of the top notch players that we all know are a big part of the national team are playing consistently and performing well with their teams in Europe, then obviously they're typically going to get the nod from the coach. Yes, like Weston's a lock. Yeah. I mean, but Weston's also performing, right? He's playing every week. He's playing at a high level. Like what what are they going to do with Tim Weah? Right. Obviously an important guy in the team, but hasn't played quite as much. And when he has, he's played more of a wing back. I think he he knows his role. But but these are the kinds of uh, of decisions and discussions that will be had within the national team staff and trying to figure out what the balance is. For me, Cordozo, if you just talk about his performance uh, as well yesterday, I think even when I talked about the coach's corner, the two things I talked about were not being so passive with the ball and not being so passive against the ball. And for me in this match, he was much more present and and then pushed himself in the match to have a big impact on on now trying to to take over the game in the in the middle of the pitch. So, you know, I, we have what's nice to see is just that we have some options. Right? That we have some good players playing with good clubs, playing in European uh, uh, matches and and performing at a high level. And obviously, this is the kind of problem when you're the coach of the national team that you want to have. I uh, just want to give a shout out to Real Betis's coaching staff and to Johnny Cardoso for clearly taking the time to watch our coach's corner last time. <laughs> Jesse was breaking down the game. Very, very cool of them. And, and to see that implemented in the next game against Dinamo Zagreb, even though they got knocked out, is still very, very thoughtful for them and best of luck to them over the course of the season. All right, we're going to take our next break. When we come back, there's some updates between this heated relationship between U.S. soccer and MLS over the U.S. Open Cup and USL's thrown in there too. It's it's getting a little spicy, so we're going to break it down right after this. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to Call What You Want. I'm Jimmy alongside Jesse and Chuck, and we are talking a little U.S. Open Cup. As I mentioned before the break, things are getting a little bit spicy. Let's catch everybody up. Back on February 18th, that's uh, five or six days ago, Michael Batista from Hudson River Blue 
came out and said that there's still some issues going on. It's getting a little contentious between U.S. soccer and the organizers of U.S. Open Cup or whatever committee's there and MLS and now USL, the president of USL. Uh, Paul McDonough has come out and is frustrated and is representing all of his clubs. And it's just a little bit of a mess. And right now it's being reported. This is still speculation that only eight or nine MLS clubs will be competing in the U.S. Open Cup in 2024. But we're also hearing that because there's so much going on behind the scenes, they might just cancel the tournament altogether. Now, this feels a little different. And Chuck, I'm going to come to you uh, on what was being said when that announcement first got put out by MLS that they were out, where U.S. soccer is like, absolutely, your teams have to participate. And, and for those that don't know, they are granted this Division One status from U.S. soccer, MLS's. But part of that is by playing in your domestic cup competition like it happens everywhere else around the world. So for MLS to be like, nah, we're not interested, obviously caused a lot of emotion and interest about that's that's not cool. And, and I can't believe that they're strong-arming it, but I also can see it because the almighty dollar dictates a lot of decisions. But Chuck, what are your thoughts on this? Because I could just go on and on and on and on and on. Jesse, Jimmy, correct me if I'm wrong. Don Garber the commissioner of Major League Soccer, is on the U.S. Soccer Board. That's correct. Cor correct me if I'm wrong. So tell me how this makes sense. Conflict of interest? You, you have somebody on the board who can say, this is what we're doing versus you, you have the best of, you're supposed to have the best of both interests, right? Uh, uh, and, and I just feel that MLS needs to be involved in this competition and you find a way to make it work with the schedule. Yes, Copa America is going on. Yes, the Olympics are going on. Yes, uh, you know, Champions Cup is going on. Yes, you have, uh, you know, all Leagues these Cup. Leagues Cup. You figure out a way to make it work because the U.S. Open Cup is not the same if MLS isn't in it. And for, for all the for all the, the young uh, teams that are in U.S. Open Cup or, or you know, the, the, the teams that are further down the division, the the, the line, their dream is to play against MLS teams, to, to have that opportunity to play against the best. That maybe it's maybe it's their shot to get a new contract. Um, so, I mean, it would make absolutely no sense if half the teams are in and half are out or half the teams are in and then the other half are sending their second team, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm just conflicted with the whole thing. I, I, I want to give some interesting quotes from Paul McDonough, the USL president, because he, he has some, some good ones. Uh, and Jesse, your thoughts on this. He, he, he said that when U S soccer initially denied MLS's request to enter reserve teams, uh, McDonough quote, we thought this was put to bed in December. And then he and USL clubs were caught off guard when a U.S. soccer official called in late January to say that there'd be changes to the format in open cup. And that quote, we're probably not looking at full MLS participation. Now, U.S. soccer and MLS apparently have continued to engage in dialogue, but it's, it's really frustrating to the point where, where USL said they might just not have their teams involved at all. They have since now come out and stated that they are going to compete in it. They understand the value of it, and it's important to their fans and to the culture and the fabric of the game here. But Two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's... I guess what I hear, I want to add this with, with McDonough. He, he did say, and I appreciate that he said this, if MLS wanted exemptions for the nine teams who are going to play in the CONCACAF Champions Cup, uh, he would have endorsed that and, in fact, blessed it. 
Everybody else, though, should and could have played. And and so I, I appreciate that there's still some wiggle room. Okay, yeah, you have some some schedule congestion. And, and especially for the Champions Cup participants, it just becomes so overwhelming. But what's what's fascinating is that a lot of this congestion, and we've talked about it before, is actually from MLS themselves by the implementation of Leagues Cup. And, and so they're doing this to themselves, which is what I, I don't know. It's just... If, MLS is MLS is gonna MLS is kind of how <laughs> yeah I feel like Paul McDonough a little bit like didn't we talk about this already on this podcast exactly <laughs> so, yeah um so what else can we say I think we 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 really I think expressed the fact that we value us three right from our experiences really valued this tournament and it's the the oldest tournament in the country and I don't know what the solution is I'm not tasked with that but. There's plenty of smart people that are sorting through this. And I think the fan reaction has been strong enough for everybody to understand. Let's get this. Let's figure this out. Let's make a decision. Let's find a way to put as many teams as possible. I don't know exactly what the dialogue is and what the situation is, but let's let's show how let's show everyone our first league, our first division. Let's really show uh, how important we value this tournament. And and of course, we all know that that there's probably more money in some of the other tournaments, but it shouldn't dictate what we do with our sport in our country. Okay, so based on this article and, and the sources that Henry Bushnell from Yahoo Sports is fine, he's got a great article on it. He said that the most likely outcome that these sources indicated is that MLS clubs would fall into three categories. All right, you ready for this, Chuck? First one, one, eight of the nine CONCACAF Champions Cup qualifiers won't participate in the Open Cup, which I just mentioned. The one exception would be the Houston Dynamo, who won last year's version, so they'd get a chance to defend their title. Two, a handful of MLS teams selected based on where they finished in the regular season would participate in the Open Cup. Okay, so MLS is like, you can have our losers. <laughs> and three, other MLS clubs will send their reserve teams. So, so... Those are the three likely outcomes based on these sources. Uh, what are your thoughts on somehow finding middle ground here to try to appease everyone? I don't know if it's going to work. It's like you're either all in or you're out. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Not at all. It's dysfunctional is what it sounds like. And then you have MLS clubs who are participating in the U.S. Open Cup who don't invest in their squads the way that other teams do. Going for the U.S. Open Cup to win it to say, hey, we got our trophy. Right. And and that that should mean that we're we're successful because you won a trophy and two thirds of the other teams didn't take it seriously. So uh, in MLS, I, I just you, like you said, Jimmy, you're all in or you're all out And us three. And I think the majority want MLS to be all in right to compete for the U.S. Open Cup to make this the, the special tournament it, it deserves to be. I think what's interesting, and we discussed this, Char Jesse, just to give a little bit more context for everybody at home, in case they missed the pod where we did talk about it ad nauseum, is, is the, the prize money to win a U.S. Open Cup is $300,000. And, and, and that hasn't moved much, right? You don't, you don't, there's not a lot of money. There's not a big pot of gold at the end of winning right. the Open Cup. Outside of the prestige that comes with it, which we all value, right? We, we, there's a, it's the, the oldest competition in the country. It, it matters. Now, when you look at Leagues Cup, it's go, it jumps up to two million to to win that competition. So, so they're obviously dangling a bigger carrot for so MLS you think a teams. Million? If you made it a million, do you think that would do th that would 
make the I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that some money would 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 help. I think clubs take it a little bit more serious because now they know there's a pot of gold at the end that could help them in other ways or to be more competitive in, in multiple competitions. What I find interesting as well is that there, I think there's some, and again, this is speculation, but I feel like from what I understand, MLS was the one that was supposed to have the budget to market the Open Cup. And and now it seems like they're saying, well, U.S. Soccer, you didn't you didn't market the, the the tournament, but but they gave that responsibility to MLS, and MLS didn't market it. So it just feels like there's a little bit of weird stuff going on, and and we could get into some Soccer United marketing where U.S. Soccer and MLS joined forces to to create better TV contracts, and and that felt like a necessary move to make sure the stability of the league happened. But those that that broke up, some doesn't exist anymore, and so I don't know if there's any. I don't know. I'm getting into speculation mode here, but I just feel like there's some machinations happening behind the scenes that maybe we aren't all privy to that's influencing the decisions by the big power brokers and all this, Jesse. Yeah. I, I, listen, the, the, again, I, I said it before, the money for me shouldn't dictate the tournament, right? It, the, the, the making it a million instead of 300,000 for me doesn't, doesn't do anything to put more value to the tournament. Um, I think for the players, it does. Maybe, but even, yeah, I mean, once you divide it all up, of course you make more money, but, but once you divide, you know, it used to be a hundred thousand and we were, no. we were ecstatic about that. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and we split it up 20 ways. It was five <laughs> grand each. I mean, it was crazy. Um, but, um, you know, I look at England, so let's just talk Man City. Okay. Man City this year had to play in the, the World Club Championship, the Carabao Cup, the the FA Cup, obviously the league, the Champions League, and and also in the FA Cup, there's there's uh, there's still the chance that if you draw a match, that you have to play a second leg, a whole nother match again, and there's no really flexibility in terms of what teams do there and how many matches they have. So I mean, listen, this is the game at the high club game at the highest level when you talk of the Premier League, but I don't see how. They can't find enough midweeks where there's time and room to play more matches. I just it doesn't. I get I get the schedule congestion and everything else, but but these are these are all you know the, these new tournaments for me shouldn't take away from from the history of what the what the game has meant. Yeah, just to jump on that, I think it opens up a Pandora's box about the salary cap, right? When we use Man City. They ultimately, I know financial fair play, I'm going to put air quotes around financial fair play, but but they can build Please a squad. That, that, <laughs> they can build a squad that can compete in multiple competitions, whereas MLS has a salary cap that I do believe handcuffs a lot of these teams. And, and Steve Cherendolo from LAFC has talked about it, especially in the last but Man City, But Man City carries a small squad. Right. Obviously, they carry an expensive squad. Right. It's a very good squad, but they don't carry 30 players like MLS teams carry more players than even Man City does. Of course, they can always draw from their academy and and whatnot. But it's it's not like these, you know, the demands of the of of the game at, at in the highest level in Europe is I mean, they used to they used to draw up how many games Frank Lampard would play a year or how many games. You know the best play, Rodri. How many games does he play a year, or whatever? This is this is what the game is at the highest level, and and this is where players have to take care of themselves. They have to understand the demands. They have to manage everything. And obviously, okay, it's a bigger level. There's more money, but that shouldn't really dictate how players can manage how many matches they can they can play a year. 
Yeah, this could lead into a really big conversation, but we're going to move into the next break. Listen, we got we got more stuff to preview. And obviously, this is a, a fluid story, right? It's going to continue to evolve and, and twists and turns. And it should probably be its own Netflix series at this particular point. But again, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to preview some big games for Americans abroad this weekend. So don't go anywhere. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hello, and welcome back to Call It What You Want. I'm James, alongside Marshmallow and Charles, and we are getting into it. Americans abroad, I said, but it's actually Americans to watch because MLS is starting this weekend, actually started midweek, when Lionel Messi and Inter-Miami 2-0 win over Real Salt Lake. A tale of two halves in that particular game, but RSL cannot finish their chances. Inter-Miami with the big three points. I think those guys are going to start falling apart here pretty soon, uh, especially Luis Suarez, who already came off hurt or looked hurt hobbling around in that particular game. So we have some notable weekend fixtures for everybody to circle on their calendars. We're going to start with the U.S. Women's National Team. They're in the Women's CONCACAF Gold Cup. Argentina is their opponent, and we'll see if they can continue to score a lot of goals because we are very good. I'm excited so much for the future, especially when Emma Hayes shows up as the coach. And then on Saturday, Manchester United versus Fulham. We have Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream traveling to... Old Trafford to see if they can get their second league win away from home this season. Uh, only one so far. That is not a good look for the squad. And then we have Columbus, the crew, the reigning champs of MLS, taking on Atlanta United. That is going to be a fantastic game. Sunday, we have Lance versus Monaco. Cadiz versus Celta de Vigo. AC Milan taking on Atalanta. That is a big one for Milan in particular after they drop points against Monza this weekend. And then this past weekend and the LA galaxy taking on inter Miami to round off some pretty good games in MLS and it's opening weekends. Jesse, I'm coming to you first one player or match to watch who are you going with and why hit us up. We haven't talked about Joe Scally at all. So I'm going to watch him. Um, now last week, last week I said all the players I was going to watch and none of them played, <laughs> but, um, you know, and then, and then like I talked about, I think the outside back position is a little bit up for grabs. So I'm also going to see Sam Vines with, with Colorado and, and kind of watch both of those and, and I'll report back to you. But, but this is a, this is definitely a position that I think needs bolstering needs reinforcement. And so I think that both these players are going to factor, factor in on that. Okay. I like that shout, and and I'm sure that you're not only watching Sammy Vines, but you're watching your pal Chris Armas take over at Colorado as well, who were one of the worst teams in the league last season. Uh, Chuck, coming to you. Yes, I got a I got a good one. I'm going Union Berlin hosting Heidenheim. So I, I think I think when you look at what Brent Aronson, uh, you know, ha, has has done over the season, you know, struggled mightily. But to come in in the 66th minute and get the game winner for Union Berlin against Hoffenheim on the road, that, that's massive. Um, so I'm really happy for him. You know, we know how good he can be and, and what an influence he is just running around and being aggressive in the counter press and um, causing problems. So 
he's taking on Leonard Maloney. So uh, I'm I'm pumped to watch this one. Two Americans going to <coughs> going against each other. You're right. You're and, right. Uh, that was a he's tough excited. one. To say. He's Leonard excited. Maloney. I'm excited. <laughs> Leonard Maloney versus Brandon Aronson. So uh, I'm I'm excited for this one. Uh, I love that. I love that. All right, I'm gonna go and talk Miles Robinson. He had a chance to leave Atlanta United for free to potentially go over to a European club. He elected to stay in MLS and play for FC Cincinnati. Apparently, he's got a one-year deal. And I think he picked a big, a big, excuse me, a good team to hedge his bets to win some trophies this particular season. FC Cincinnati coming off of a supporter's shield as the best team over the regular season. And I think he's going to help them. They needed someone in the back. They needed a little bit more defensive help, I think. And if they can continue to ride the wave that they were on, even they were so close. They had the crew up 2-0 in the semifinals of, of MLS, MLS Cup playoffs last year and ultimately lost that lead. And if you would have had Miazga available because he was suspended or Miles Robinson, I think they, they end up taking that 2-0 lead into MLS Cup. They would have hosted it, and I think they would have gone on to win it. So you add him into the equation, and I think it could be a big year for FC Cincinnati. They are hosting Toronto FC, who I'm actually quite curious to see how they're going to play with John Herdman now in charge, the former Canadian men's national team coach. And, and can he get them organized? Can he get their two, two Italian DPs to, to buy in in a way that Bob Bradley could not? So it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that all plays out on both sides. But uh, Miles Robinson in particular, I know Jesse's very high on him, thinks he's should be. And I, we all agree that he he has the ability to be a huge, important player for us in the national team and, and, and a leader. But we need to see some of that leadership quality come out because uh, we need especially in the back line we need a whole bunch of that so so that's the game I'm watching in particular a- any thoughts on Miles Robinson what, what are our expectations Jesse or what what would you want to see from him to kind of continue to push the envelope over a course of a season I mean what do you what do you like do, do they need to have more clean sheets just stout defensively or is yeah, it more the intangibles with him yeah. and Miazga in the back I mean they should be a force I think they should have among the fewest goals against in the league, they should have real presence. They should be good on set pieces. Miazga's, I think, naturally just – I don't know Miles Robinson well enough, but just from what I know of Matt and watching Miles from afar, I think Matt's more of a leader type. Um, and and I, I, like, I was – I was disappointed that I didn't have more time to work with Matt Miazga because I think he's a big talent. So yeah, I think keeping track of both of them will be will be fun to watch this season. And and again, I think if those two can stay healthy, they should dominate. They should dominate in the back. Yeah, it's gonna be a great weekend actually of these first games. Uh, Columbus Crew versus Atlanta United. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the defending champs versus Atlanta, who I think are putting some pieces in place while they still have Tiago Almada, who's really the string puller there. That should be a great game to watch as well. So huge, huge games overall but we're going to take our last break when we come back we're going to talk about a little uh, bulletin board material that uh, Malik Tillman said about Jamaica ahead of our big matchup in March in the Nations League semifinal so don't go anywhere you want to hear this men's national team you have to remind me what's next is it a uh, Nations League for you guys in Texas coming up in March yes uh, semifinal against Jamaica what are your thoughts about that game? What are your expectations? To be fair, I don't know much about Jamaica. I know they have uh, some some English guys who went there recently. Um, but yeah, we, we won it last season, so we try to win it again. Do you look at it as a, a routine game to get through to the final? No, not really. I think they're a good team. They have a good team. 
Well, that's what I heard. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, we we have to to reach our level, play play the football that we can. Um, yeah, it's it's gonna be a hard game to win. I mean, I don't know if I'm playing for my club team, and I've just come off a, a match in the Champions League, and I get I have to put my national team hat on and be asked questions about an opponent I'm not familiar with. I'm not that surprised that that's how he answered those questions. I, bulletin board material. Yeah, I guess if the, the Jamaican coaching staff wants to to spin it in that way. Jesse, as our resident coach, uh, your thoughts on this. Is, is this bulletin board material? I don't know. I'm never a big fan of the need to put up too many comments of what the opponent says. Like, you shouldn't need special motivation. I think the Jamaicans always, when it comes to playing the U.S., they they come with emotion. They come with something to prove. They come with an edge. I, I think some of their best performances over the the you know in recent memory have been against the U.S. So obviously Tillman could probably answer that question in a better way. Um, uh, but I don't, I don't read too much into it. And, and if I'm the U S team, I'm ex- regardless, I'm expecting a Jamaica team that's ready to come and play for everything. And with a lot to prove and, and with a lot on the line, Chuck, it didn't feel like arrogance in his no. answer. It was just more like, I don't really know. And, yeah. and- it was, it was too honest is what it was <laughs> <laughs> like the, the media training wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> He, he's got to talk. He's got to talk to somebody. But um, obviously, he didn't mean any anything uh, in it. it. It was I just came off a Champions League match. Um, you know, pretty happy with my performance. And all of a sudden, you get hit with, "Hey, what do you think about Jamaica?" And, <laughs> and he's like, "I I don't know. I I don't know them. I you know so." Yes, he just needs to word it better. And that comes with with experience and media training. But um, yeah, he meant nothing malicious uh by those words. It, it was pure honesty. You could tell that he he's he's a good he's a good kid. So um now now he's gotta back it up in, in March. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he gets selected and can put it together there on the field and get some playing time in that big game. And it's looking like He's, I'd say the driver's seat, but as we mentioned before, he looks like he's in a good position to hopefully get some meaningful minutes, whether it's in the semifinal or whether it's in the final, whatever it may be. Wait, wait, bef- before we go on then, how would you assess Gio Reyna's loan move thus far? Not not great. It, it, you're saying it's not a B plus? Is that what you're trying to say? I, yeah, well, I, I would say Every- that that there were there were some whispers, maybe more obvious whispers for people that are closer to it, that this was a bit manufactured because his new agent has connections to the manager of Nottingham Forest and to the club itself in some capacity. A bit? Okay, fine. And so, yes, a lot. And and now the proof's in the pudding. You're going to play the guy. And, and he played him a little bit. And then he looked fine when he was out there. But the other players were... It, there's, we're, time. We're, there's time. There's time. Of course there's, there's time. time. But, but if we're, we're, we're trying to build this into how it impacts our, our team in March. Right now, it'd be hard to go with Gio Reyna. And I wonder, very quickly before we let everybody go, because I know we're in our final break, and Jesse, I, I want your thoughts on this. What kind of precedent do you set as a national team coach if you do start a Gio Reyna in that Nations League semifinal, knowing he hasn't played a lot, whereas there's clearly guys that are playing well that, in theory, have earned the, the opportunity to play ahead of him, or at least to get those minutes? Listen, the precedent is less important than 
making sure whatever team you put on the pitch is ready to perform, right? And and so, but this is where form and fitness play a factor. So yeah, there'll be some tough decisions to make. Like always, this is part of being a coach. You have to make tough decisions and you try to get more of them right than you do wrong. That's for sure. Um, but, you know, the the... The timing right now is is Nottingham Forest for me probably had their best match of the year and and their front four probably performed the best that they have all year, which and Geo doesn't play so it makes it a little bit difficult. But but Nottingham Forest it's going to get tight, you know, and they're going to need they're going to need all their attacking players to be ready to go. And next time Geo gets the chance to be on the pitch, he's he's going to have to keep performing and training every day. And and when he gets gets chances on match day, so this is normal. This is normal. Um, of course, we would have all wished that 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 he's playing more minutes right now, apparently, especially Charlie. Um, but nonetheless, yeah. like, like this is what it is. This is he what needs it. to be playing. He needs yeah, to be well, playing. He's got to compete. He's got to earn his way. Well, nothing well, comes. Well, nothing comes for free. So, Chuck, give, give us your final thought to I end the show. You. Your thoughts on Gio Reyna. You asked the question. Now we want you to answer it. Yes. Uh, again, it's it's early, like you said, but. I think we've got a good snapshot of what he's up against and and kind of like the the way that Nottingham Forest play under under Nuno Espirito Santo. So I'm not I was never thrilled with this move. I always thought he needed to take one step back to take two two steps forward. And the Premier League is a step forward and I know it's it's not Dortmund Nottingham Forest, but the league and the ass and the demands are much greater than what it is at Dortmund and the players that he's around, the players he's competing with in the in that position, not having that much time to impress. So um, it's a it's a really difficult situation for for Girena. Yes, you can learn a lot from being in that situation, but um, to to assess it thus far, it, it's 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 not a great move. It's not a great move. That's how we're going to end the show because it's always a great move. To listen to call what you want. Woo! Thank you so much for your support. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the other side of it. Later. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.